episode 269 of Global From Asia. What's the current and future state of doing business in Hong Kong 2019? Are we... Is this the end? Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to download and listen or stream or hopefully you have open and free internet to download this and it's not blocked somewhere, but it's MP3 file, so hopefully it can be hosted all over the place. We try to get this in as many earbuds as possible and just keeping it real. Helena says, bold Mike. Yeah, the last few episodes I've been, uh, I don't know, maybe it's because I live in Thailand now, maybe it's because we moved a server to Singapore, or maybe I just don't care anymore. I mean... Gotta live enough to make make the bread, make the dough for the kids. But for me, I don't need much. I'm a minimalist and life is simple. It's more than material things. I mean, right. So this is a, another uh, show that was tricky and I try to get certain people on the show and got Chris Thomas to share, which is awesome. He's a, he's a longtime supporter of Global From Asia. I really appreciate Chris from the AustralianSeller.com, and while he's more normally talking about Amazon and and e-commerce, he's talking with me about the future of Hong Kong business. Is 2019 the end of Hong Kong as we know it, as far as business and life and freedom and whatever we want to call this? What Hong Kong is? Will it be ever the same? I mean, this is how this podcast even started. I mean, it was. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast. We're running international business from Hong Kong. It's broken down into straight-up actionable advice. If you notice, there's no more from Hong Kong. I cut that out about two years ago. The banking crackdown kind of destroyed me. I mean, my little agency. I'll, I'll save that for the blah, blah, blah section. This is a longer episode, about an hour long. Chris and I are going through quite a bit, talking a little bit about the tariffs. He gives some strategies on what he's seeing people do for tariffs. Um, also how it affects people not just doing business in America. It's affecting everybody. And uh, But most of the time we'll be talking about Hong Kong business future. I mean, why do people do it there? Why have people done it there? What are people doing now? And then what do we think is going to be the future? And then after the interview, I will talk for about my 5 to 10 minute blah, blah, blah session with some of y'all like, or at least if you stick until all the way to the end, you can hear mine. And I'm going to talk about Global from Asia from 2013, how I uh, how we made money and we still make some money. I'm a we or I are a strategic partner shareholder in Unipro, which is a Hong Kong-based CPA firm. Raining is an amazing business partner, amazing person, and uh, so that is something we still do here. But I've diversified quite a bit. One would say lost focus, but we will go through some of the milestones of. The Global From Asia and the Hong Kong Agency and uh, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot with some of the stuff I say on this show. But you know what? That's what I like. <laughs> shooting myself in the foot. Well, I like uh, sharing things as they are. And I'm trying to promise to be maybe sharing stuff that is scary and sharing stuff that uh, people aren't talking about. Or, you know, we are, we are a non-funded. There is no... Uh, there is no evil corporation funding this. We have sponsors. I hope GoRemit and 
we also have Neat sponsoring some of this, and we have other sponsors, Insight Quality, and other sponsors for shipping, and others that support this show. So hopefully they don't pull the plug because of some of the stuff we said. But I think people are enjoying what we're talking about more, and I'm just gonna keep it real. And even though it might not help me in my CPA business, it might not help me with what I've even talked about. I keep things real. I I I, I would try my best to be straight up actionable advice. So without further ado. And Alvin, maybe you can play that intro straight up from Hong Kong. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business from Hong Kong is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Hong Kong business, running an international business from Hong Kong. What is the future of running an international business from Hong Kong? The banks have been trying to crush us for a while. So we're going to talk about it today. I hope you enjoy. And uh, afterwards, I'll talk about some of the milestones of how I've tried to make money with Global From Asia. Are you looking for a fast way to get your money out of Hong Kong? Is today's show scaring you so much? You can consider using our sponsor, GoRemit.hk, a cross-border payment company from Hong Kong. Send money from your Hong Kong bank to their cross-border payment solution hold the balance there as long as you'd like and when needed in US dollar or Hong Kong dollar send it to other countries within Asia into mainland China, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand and more and more locations. I've known them since the early stages and they've been a help to sponsor this show for many years. If you're looking for a cross-border payment solution for your Hong Kong bank definitely check them out and tell them GFA sent you. So thank you, everybody, for tuning to another Global From Asia podcast. We're getting up in the numbers here. We had Chris on the show. Wow, it's been a while, huh? I, it's been a while. I could quote it in the uh, intro what, what number. We'll link it in the show notes. But a lot has changed. And Chris Thomas, I appreciate you jumping on this controversial or this hot topic, I think, too. But uh, um, you're all host of the Australian Seller podcast. That's right. That's exactly which, right. Man. Which is awesome. I've been watching you, uh, you know, get it going and it's picking up steam and you're doing great things, of course, with Australian sellers and people doing business in, in the Australian market uh, with meetups and, of course, the podcast and other other uh, community type endeavors. Mm-hmm. So it's great to uh, have you back on the show. It's great to be back, Mike. Thanks so much for inviting me on today. Really excited to talk about this topic. It's really cool. Yeah, so still working on a title. I don't know about you for your shows. Sometimes I think of the title as I as I do it or afterwards, but it's kind of yep. like Hong Kong business. Is it still viable, safe, or what's you know where are we at now? What's the future? Um, you know, try to get others to come on, and you're brave enough to join me on this topic. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. we don't get we don't get so political. I feel like maybe I am getting more political lately in the show, but uh, it seems politics and business are really getting overlapped right now. Usually I like to stick just on the business stuff, but uh, it's kind of hard to avoid politics and business, at least in this, uh, in this space of cross-border trade between uh, Asia and the West, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, you're absolutely right. And I think that sums up right at the very top of the tree in terms of what's going on globally at the moment. I mean, we've got Brexit in Europe, and that is having a massive impact on business confidence. And then, of course, we've got the trade wars that are going on between uh, President Trump and China. And then you throw in, sprinkle on top of that, 
the little cherries, which is you know what's happening in Hong Kong, sort of more regionally. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting time of life. Yeah, so it does seem to. I know some people say, oh, you know, well, you're in Australia, so maybe that's not a good topic. Like it affects the Australian market, right? I know I've seen people in your group talking about that. I mean, you guys, even if you're not dealing with the US market, which I think still sellers in Australia or everywhere. Actually, that's something else people don't realize. Like I talked to some journalists and some other people that aren't as, everybody thinks only Chinese sell to America now, you know, so all this trade war is going to hurt Chinese and everybody else is going to benefit, but uh, it hurts everybody. And I don't know if you feel, if you want to give us some impact of how it's affected maybe people in your, uh, in your world or with. Yeah, sure. Um, well, look, <clears throat> obviously a lot of uh, sellers in Australia are just like anywhere else in the world where they're sourcing their products mainly from China, myself included. So even though we live a long way away from both China and United States in our marketplaces that we operate in, uh, yeah, these, these trade wars, this tariff, um, the impacts of the tariffs certainly having a material impact on potential future profitability and, and also the value of the companies that we're building, you know, um, I think there's there's a huge sort of right at the very end of this is where you might be looking to exit your business and and you know buyers are a little bit nervous about paying too much for business because they're not really sure what the cost of goods are going to look like with tariffs on top. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, and then and sellers are sort of well, maybe maybe I won't sell my business at the moment until there's more certainty. Uh, but you know, just sort of day to day running of an e-commerce of an e-commerce business. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's I'm mean, just trying to figure out which of the products that you sell in terms of, you know, having to look up their um, harmonization codes, you know, um, to find out whether they belong in like list one or list two, three or four, you know, there's different lists that are all coming in at different times and all being affected <laughs> by different levels of, you know, percentage increases and, and those increases are changing you know, every, every time Donald does a tweet, you know, it's just, it's chaos. It's chaotic actually. Yeah. Trying to figure out, you know, and, and have any certainty about planning for your business and planning for profitability. And, you know, how do we, how do we pass that, those extra costs on, or do we absorb them or do we spread them out with, um, you know, with our supplier, you know, I think Liran Hirschkorn talks about um, his model at the moment, which is uh, to, to sort of, you know, negotiate with your supplier to say, look, you know, we've got a tariff coming of 30%. So if you reduce your price to me, uh, by 10% and then I'll absorb 10% and then I'll raise my price by 10%. I think that's quite a nice way to spread out the, the impact of the, you know, with a potential 30% tariff. True. Um, so, so, you know, really from an operational perspective, right through to sort of, you know, the end of life of an Amazon business, when, you, when you're looking to sell it. Um, yeah. It's, it's having a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, but so it's, how about somebody say selling just in Australia I and mean, just are, you know, it's a small market, but it still would affect them. I mean, if they're not selling to the US or they're just, you know, buying from say Chinese factory, would you think that if, I think it does impact even people importing to Australia? A little bit. Uh, the biggest um, loser, I think, from our perspective here in Australia has been our currency. So our currency has actually dropped quite significantly. So if we're buying things, um, Australian dollars are not buying as many US dollars as they did maybe you know a few months back. So um, so that's having an impact on uh, you know sort of input costs and having to buy goods from China. We're having to spend a lot more Australian dollars to to buy those goods, which are all you know valued in US dollars typically. 
so so that is definitely yeah it is having yeah, quite, that's quite an impact point, the currency yeah i think that's the point um even here in Thailand, I think listeners know I'm in Thailand now and we just sent some money from China here. And Wendy was commenting last year that was a lot more bot than this year because, you know, schools mm-hmm. and everything. So, yeah, the, the RMB has uh, dropped a lot, I think, to a, a, lot, of mar- a lot of different uh, currencies globally during this. Maybe yeah. Which some say is manipulating. I don't know. I'm not getting reasons why, but all I know is it's going to be less uh, powerful when you're buying, you know, sending it out. So it's That's cheaper correct. to buy from China. They're doing yes. it with the currency so to try to offset the uh, tariffs, I think. Let's yeah, that's right. And then actually just, just on that point that I raised earlier about negotiating with suppliers, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are talking about this, but you can actually talk to your supplier in China about the fact that the currency, you can show them a graph of how the currency, because you're paying your suppliers in US dollars typically. And of course, they're paying their staff and their electricity costs and all the other on costs that they have within their business in RMB. And so, you know, there's, uh, there's been quite a, a, a change in the exchange rate between the US dollar and the, and the RMB or the yuan. True, so, true. so um, yeah, there's some negotiating power there as well. That's a good point. So, you know, um, at the, yeah. Chris knows I'm a part, actually I'll talk about that maybe at the end of the show or maybe we can integrate in the show, but it's a, this Hong Kong business stuff has really been impacting me. I think since I'd say since the 2016 banking, I don't want to say maybe crisis or crackdown or whatever, but mm. you know, I, I, I um, used to be more focused on purely like Hong Kong business agency here with the blog and the podcast, but uh, the banking got really tough, tough for me and the, you know, it was hard for me to, be confident about my service provided if I can't help people get bank accounts open. So I, I kind of diversified and, and hedged my bets and I partnered with, uh, with a CPA, a really nice guy, um, Ray, which he's doesn't want to get involved in this podcast. Uh, no. So, uh, but I know we have, we have, we do, we help people with, uh, you know, tax filings and such. And there was, there's been about three months of these protests and there was days we, our staff have to sometimes go to the offices in the tax department to file some of this archaic stuff has to be done in person. And uh, you literally the offices were either closed or they were shut down or subways, MTRs, they call it, or just like shut down. You had to like walk or you had to go the next day. And there's just been this real chaos of, uh, of getting there. But uh, of course it's not a, it's not a long, long term, but sometimes it's like a day it would be government, certain government offices were shut down or there are certain days to, things were uh, not able to be done. And it seems like protesters are almost doing that on purpose to try to hit the business sector, to try to get more attention or empower them more to kind of get changes that they wanted to have happen and uh, happened. So, you know, that's, a, I guess, kind of what we're talking about with the show today is, uh, you know, is that's kind of had clients at the CPA firm uh, asking us and just, of course, blog, you know, this podcast started, uh, I don't know if Chris knows this in the intro. It used to be, welcome to the Global From Asia podcast. We're running international business from Hong Kong. Hong Kong. If you notice, that was cut yeah. out. I don't know when. Yeah, I have, yeah. 15 or 17 listeners had told me, maybe Alvin, our editor. Alvin, if you can maybe stick that in even now. or we'll... Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business from Hong Kong is broken down into straight-up, actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. 
I cut that out uh, a couple of years ago because of uh, of the challenges and and uh, but um, you know I don't I mean I don't know if you want to say but I think you operate at least some of your business through through Hong I mean you lived in Hong Kong for quite some time maybe you can also share Chris about your you're in Australia now but you've you've got quite some experience with Hong Kong and and China over the years yeah that's right so I mean I was lucky enough to live in Hong Kong from. Uh, I think it was the beginning of 2014 through until the end of 2016, so almost two years. And it was during that time, actually, that I met you. I started listening yeah. to your podcast about yeah, you know, really great. business in Hong Kong. And uh, within a few months of arriving there, I'd, I'd actually finished a Kickstarter campaign and I was going into full-on e-commerce mode. So um, it made sense to sort of learn more about you know doing business in China and Hong Kong and ended up setting up a company in Hong Kong and then... Uh, because we live there, it was a lot easier to get a bank account. And it was also before the bank account kind of cracked down, before HSBC really got itself well, maybe yeah. got itself in a lot of trouble with the US government, particularly around their money laundering and, you know, where there was a lot of drug money, um, allegedly, that was being laundered through HSBC branches in the United States so that money could be sent back to the cartels, wherever they yeah. were, you know, these drug cartels. So, so, you know, the American government actually threatened to um, suspend or, or indeed uh, revoke HSBC's uh, banking license in, in the United States, which would have been catastrophic for their business. So they really started cracking down on who was opening up these bank accounts and, uh, and that made it, you know, that's the crisis that we went through in 2016 or certainly a lot of your uh, clients, I suppose, are the folks yeah. that wanted to, wanted to set up in Hong Kong. So there's still a lot of benefits in setting up in Hong Kong, obviously, um, you know, the the rule of law, I think, is still in some way, you know, still working. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, t- the taxes um, vary a lot. So some years, uh, you know, it may be around the sort of 16.5%. And I think the last 12 months, uh, it's only been about 8.25. I suspect yeah. next year with everything that's going on and companies threatening to potentially leave uh, Hong Kong, that maybe the taxes next year might be zero. <laughs> yeah, for no. businesses, I'm not. I wouldn't surprise me. Crystal ball gazing already in the in this episode, but um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's. Uh, yeah, but go ahead. so far, it's been an incredible place to do business, and it's been great to have a multi currency account, and uh, you know, just to be set up there. Uh, yeah, and so close to China, so um, yeah, it's so that's really my background there, and and of course, back in yeah, you know, 2016, we moved back to Australia, and but I've still got the account. And the business will still set up in Hong Kong. Sure. Um, I'm, some listeners have, you know, they, they keep their ears perked up for me, but I've been mentioning, I got the letter, I call it the letter of death, but the HSBC is threatening to close my, even my little, you know, consulting agents. I have a few different biz, businesses in Hong Kong, you know, but uh, for Global From Asia, it's like a consulting company. And I, uh, I get a letter of death where they're asking for all this KYC stuff. And uh, I mean, yep. some people pass and some people don't pass. And I, I, know, I don't want to call other people out, but lately some people have not been passing. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm nervous. I even, they called me uh, literally yesterday and asked me so many more questions of all these more documents I had to provide. But, um, but yeah, mm. I mean, the, the benefits of Hong Kong, like for so, so many years and still is valid is, you know, low, even low to no tax. I mean, there's this offshore option too, which is tricky. And uh, we have some blog posts maybe we can link to, but um, even with the normal tax at 16 and a half, and then like, yeah, like a year or two ago, they, they did uh, down to eight point, I think it's eight, 
think it's half of 16 and a half. So I think it's 8.75 technically, something around eight. Yeah. I think it's somewhere around the eight. But then it's, and yeah, maybe they'll drop it ever more. I kind of have a joke in my show notes. Maybe, maybe it won't be taxes. The whole system collapses. Maybe we could uh, get out of our tax debts, you know, reset to zero or something. But, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but of course, the bank. Well, a lot of listeners are people. I've actually I've learned since I started this podcast is there's business and there's banks. <laughs> there's the company registration and then there's the bank account, and they're comp- almost they're not totally separate, but they're honestly to me separate. I mean, honestly, all people really care about is a bank account. I mean, the company is only is what else you know of course you can write a contract you sign a contract between you have a inv- uh, an invoice from a factory or you know but really all you really need is a bank account you need somebody customers to put money in and you need to send money out and the reason i have a business is to separate your personal self from your business self so that you can have you know profit and loss and you can have partners and maybe hopefully sell it one day and have clean books and that's the that purpose but yeah i mean and hong kong was great because it is i say i'm almost speaking a past tense but it is great if you can get a multi-currency english language secure bank account where you can hopefully even have a credit card which seems like an easy thing but that's also a huge hurdle and you could uh you know, pay low to even no tax, right? I mean, that's the dream of an internet entrepreneur is they could uh, live anywhere like me. I'm in Thailand and they can have a decently, you know, good bank account, credit card, you know, connects to PayPal, connects to Stripe, connects to Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. They can then take out money as dividends or, or salary and they can then report their taxes. But uh, yeah, I mean, the real challenge mm. is the bank account. So I, I tell people, when they're freaking out about these protests and all this news of the, you know, tear gas and water, water things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's probably more concern about two things. I think your bank banking and your currency, right? I mean, I think the government is not going to like void your company and your company is going to be like reset, which actually wouldn't even really matter as long as you have your bank account. I think it's really just your bank account, right? Like your money yep. is there and safe. So how do you feel about that? I mean, you have some, probably have some money in Hong Kong. You still have your, your Hong Kong bank. I mean, are you losing sleep right now thinking you're going to get, it's going to get frozen and you're not going to get your money out or something? I mean, that's, I guess what, that's probably the biggest risk I think business owners should think about, right? Is, is my money safe? Yeah, look, I think it's it's a really good question. I haven't really been losing too much sleep over it. I probably lose more sleep when the KYC rocks around. In other words, Hong Kong um, YHSBC will once a year. My my annual sort of KYC dates are usually around January, February each year, um, where I just have to kind of reconfirm all of my details, my personal details, and hand over all of my you know copies of my passport and. You know, basically, I, I, I am who I say I am in terms of the owner of the account. Um, so, so that side of it is probably a little bit more scary. The only thing that really probably keeps me up awake awake at night is just around whether China will intervene in any meaningful way within the territory itself. Yeah. So, and and I think that could create a huge flight of capital. That's sort of my yeah. feeling, sort of on the outside looking in, where where people just go, "Oh my god!" Like you know, we're about to. It's about to go communist, yeah. um, and and state owned, and then that 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 for me is probably the thing that would probably tip it for me, and I'd go right. I'm getting cash back out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, look, it's sort of between the banks, 
and the political situation, um, you know, it's, uh, I think probably at the moment I'm more frightened that the bank will shut down my account. Like you, actually, uh, I was just on a, on a phone call with a WeChat call with my supplier, Linda in Guangzhou. And she was saying that a couple of her friends have actually had, there's one friend in particular who's got five Hang Seng bank accounts, business bank accounts, and three of them have been shut down the last 12 months. Yeah. So she's scrambling to create some additional backup business banking yeah. accounts. Um, you know, so, so the banks seem to be really cracking down at probably the worst possible time in terms of the confidence. It's if we don't have enough stress, you know, we're getting nailed by the tariffs. I have to check Donald Trump's tweets to see how much my tax bill is going to be or my import bill is going to mm. be. And I have to backtrack how many tweets and when he said which tweet. And then there's September and there's December. And then mm-hmm. there's phone calls over the weekend that we don't know happened or didn't happen. You know, it's like, I, I know. And then on top of the tariffs, the banks want to shut you down for no reason. And then, and then yeah, the army might raid uh, Hong Kong and then uh, collapse the currency and the banks. Everybody runs on the banks. <laughs> yeah. How much crazier can our life Plus, you're like, you know, trying to make sure you don't get hijackers on your listing. You're trying mm-hmm. to make sure you don't get somebody like uh, negative review bombing your list. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, as if we're we don't have sp- enough. I know. We're getting spread pretty thin trying to trying to take into consideration all those different aspects of, of our business life. Like, yeah, interesting. But uh, I think yeah. that, yeah, listeners freaking out. Yeah, I guess if the PLA, which is the People's Liberation Army, which they've been showing demonstrations on the border... Mm. if they were to invade yeah i guess it seems like the u.s has said if that happened they would no longer recognize the sar or they would no longer recognize hong kong as like an independent region and i guess i don't know that might then unpeg the dollar to the i don't know if that would be what would do it but then uh oh, i don't think they can i don't think they I don't can know because how the peg works but no the peg the peg's actually really interesting hong kong is one of the few currencies that um, I actually looked this up on Wikipedia about a year ago, so I might be a bit rusty nice. on how this works. But I know that the Hong Kong Monetary Fund, the IMF, um, whatever it is, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Internal Monetary Fund, or whatever the Hong Kong Monetary Fund is called, they they send out contracts to the three main banks. So I think it's Standard Chartered, HSBC, and Hang Seng um, yep. to when they want money printed or extra currency to be to be created. And those banks actually need to go and buy US dollars, physical notes. And they're stored in vaults in Hong Kong. So the Hong Kong dollar is actually backed uh, by, I think Hong Kong actually has the largest uh, reserve of, of actual physical US dollar currency outside of the United States. Oh. That, that's just what I remember reading. So the Hong Kong dollar can't really collapse unless the US dollar goes with it or takes mm. it down, basically. I mean, there has been, it has been a little bit weaker, if, if I remember. I it mean, there be. was... It's weakening a little bit because I guess what has to happen is banks have to keep buying or selling to balance it at that 7.8 or 7.78 number. So I think if, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I can't imagine protesters having enough money to withdraw or, you know, withdraw to drop it or break it. But I think what's happening is if people keep pulling out Hong Kong dollar enough, then uh, the banks, but yeah, it's true. They have to have, I don't know how much, we don't have the exact number. I don't expect you or me no. to have the numbers, but no. and basically ha- there's a ton of cash that these banks have. But of course, mm. if enough of it was pulled out at all at the same time, I guess that could really test the amount of money that those banks and the f- 
I think it's Hong Kong Monetary HKMA, Hong Kong Monetary that's, Authority that's right. yeah, would have to like somehow run out of enough to be able to balance enough people taking out Hong Kong dollar. But mm. uh, I think people listening that might be freaking out, they have, I think you have to just ask yourself two questions. One is the currency, but then you can still have multi-currency accounts. So you can even still hold the U S dollars or any other currency, even I think physical gold, you, at least HSBC, I could convert mm. to gold. But so the one is the currency. And the second is, do you really think, I think these guys, these banks are, if it's an international bank, I think if you have a local bank, you might be more nervous. But if you're dealing with like HBC or these big banks that are like globally, I, I think it would be pretty hard to imagine them being insolvent enough to not be able to let you take out your money that you have. I mean, I think all banks are supposed to keep enough money so that people can take out their deposits, you know? So I think those are the two main, main questions. I think if the, and at the same part, you know, mainland China isn't, doesn't want the Hong Kong system to totally collapse. They might want to integrate it into like Shenzhen or, uh, you know, they're trying to make this whole greater Bay and they're trying to kind of integrate Hong Kong, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Macau, Zhuhai into some huge, metropolis mm. but i don't well, they, they there's don't, been a lot of money market. spent on the bridge i mean it was almost 19 billion us dollars spent just building the 55 kilometer bridge between hong kong and zuhai i think isn't it? it's close to macau yep and that was actually opened last october by president c so um you know it's yeah it's pretty surprising that uh We've we've got ourselves in this situation where Hong Kong all of a sudden because I think the other thing that seems to be happening too uh, is that the Chinese government is encouraging businesses now to kind of set up at least branches or or indeed head offices in Shenzhen and yeah yep. another big is- topic that we should be talking about which is the fact that China seems to be encouraging companies to to basically kind of pull up stumps from Hong Kong itself and sideline Hong Kong. Um, so that they can, yep. you know, sort of bring bring all of that money, all of that sort of activity, uh, that corporate activity and headquarters and everything else into, you know, under under its wing in Shenzhen, where it's a lot safer. I think. I think that's probably the way they're saying it. Safe, uh, and, yeah. and look, frankly, Shenzhen also, you know, its GDP actually beat Hong Kong's GDP last year for the first time. So, Hong Kong, you know, Shenzhen's actually now bigger. So, you know, Hong Kong is almost, in a way, starting to become irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, that's another point uh, that we should talk about is when, uh, I don't know the exact dates, but definitely over more and over, more and more time, the whether Shenzhen, but also Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, these major cities in China have gotten more and more rich over, I don't know, the last 10, 20, maybe 30 years. I'm sure if we looked at a chart, you'd see... It's, of course, just the size and volume, but not just that, the percentage of the economy of China, if you include Hong Kong, the percentage of the significance of the percent of the uh, total of mm. Hong Kong compared to all of mainland China has continually gone down. So now it's become less and less of a risk for China to kind of let Hong Kong not be as powerful. So yeah, they've been announcing, yeah, especially with all these protests and all this unrest in Hong Kong, they're trying to encourage more and more people to do business in Shenzhen. Uh, I spent 10 years there. I mean, I even still have a Hong Kong company and a Shenzhen company, but the big difference is uh, no multi-currency bankings. I got, actually, I got a guy we'll probably get on the show to talk about uh, Hainan, which is a city near, 
uh, in the south of China. It's in like beautiful mm-hmm. island that they have tourists i i haven't been down there but uh they're trying to pick that up it's like multi-currency banking but i don't think shenzhen still has multi-currency so you're still locked in rmb so anything you do in and out has to be converted to rmbs and it might be wrong i mean i think you can't really operate with u.s dollars in a Hong- shenzhen bank or chinese any chinese bank except hainan but uh and then um you know they still haven't opened up shenzhen enough to be at least for me to say and global from Asia podcast with all these years is uh, they don't have the international banking and they don't have like kind of like the low restrictions on the trading. It's still a high, higher restricted uh, currency, single currency. Um, so, and higher tax. I mean, they have been lowering taxes in Shenzhen. I don't know where it's at now. And they've been always test. It's always been a breeding ground or a test ground for the rest of China with uh, policies but yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, it's, it's totally clear the last couple of months they've been saying, Hey, let's like, let's keep pushing people to Shenzhen or into making people um, do business more. And, and also I would say it's also going to be the greater Bay, you know, like we said, they're going to try to kind of merge all this into one massive metropolis. And I even think maybe that's even why in 2016, the banking crack crackdown, it was, there was probably also HSBC, but it was also the Panama papers. People, I don't know if you heard about that, Chris, but oh, there was yeah. the Panama where they, uh, a lot of people had Hong Kong banks and HSBC, but they had Panama companies. Because uh, like I said throughout the show, a lot of people have Hong Kong banks, but maybe an offshore company. It used to be a BVI or it used to be a Seashell, and then they would get HSBC. And then, like I said, if you have a good bank account, it doesn't really matter where your company's registered. But now it's gotten more strict, and you kind of have to have a Hong Kong company to get a Hong Kong bank. They even want to have a Hong Kong office now with address. I think that's why they're really cracking down. They want us to be there. Um, like you said, this will be easier if you were living in Hong Kong and had a physical address. But uh, but yeah, in Shenzhen, I I still would mostly use my Hong Kong company, even though I had a Shenzhen. I would do that. Like I tell listeners, sometimes it's good to have a company, a certain country to sell there, to hire there, to maybe employ yourself there for immigration purposes. Uh, usually to my top three reasons to really register a company anywhere. But, uh, but yeah, um, that's true. It's a good point that they're definitely trying to pick up the, uh, pick up the uh, people to go to like mainland China or Shenzhen directly. But uh, cause so many years people would say, I even, you know, I met with clients they have, they, they moved to Shanghai or they moved to Beijing. They opened up a Hong Kong company and then under the Hong Kong company they have a Shenzhen, uh, a Shanghai or a Beijing subsidiary. It's very, very common in the south of China for factories, trading companies, et cetera, to do that. It's, it's called like a woofy, wholly foreign-owned entity. I think, I think even these massive multinationals do that. Um, we've had a lo- really old show with Mike Bellamy about triangular trading or uh, three-way trades where you're uh, – kind of keeping most of your profits offshore or at least outside of mainland China. So they would purposely have a Hong Kong company where the main money would go in and they would just send a smaller amount of the money to the China for the operations to minimize tax. So I think they're trying to, it just seems like the trend of the, of, uh, of mainland China has been just cracking down, like closing down red light districts closing down uh, all these different uh, tax havens, closing down um, the internet. They cracked down the internet. They used, you know, 
I mean, even back in 2008, they started locking down Facebook and everything. But in, with the new new presidents and everything, I think 2012 or 13, they started really just turning up the volume of v, needing VPNs or just cracking down on VPNs, cracking down on foreign websites, foreign media. It's just been getting more and more uh, uh, strict. So yeah. Um, Literally, a friend that they do a Facebook group, and there's, I mean, a WeChat group, and they're moving out to Facebook now because it's getting harder and harder for foreigners to get WeChat accounts to even open now because they're just making the policies so much more difficult. It's just uh, unbelievable. Um, mm. So I just think it's just this overall trend. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we consider moving everybody's business to Shenzhen. It's, I think it's going to be a little bit harder to run an, op, an international business there i mean you're just gonna have to like you'd have to run it locally from china you would just and there's tons of chinese sellers right but what the chinese seller does they sell in america they get their pioneer or their other cross-border payments you know ofx or whatever ones you want to choose and then the money goes directly to their chinese bank account as rmb and then they just totally operate in rmb right they pay themselves in rmb they pay their staff in rmb they pay their chinese suppliers in R&B, but for for you, Chris, and for me, most of us are outside of China. Mm. Want to stay into Hong Kong because we live outside of China, so we want to have our money uh, and other operational money, maybe Philippine staff, maybe other people. Um, so that's the other difference. If you're going to operate purely out of like Shenzhen or mainland China, you're going to be running basically purely out of R&B, and then you can be, you know, dealing with uh, mm. getting paying your paying. That's why it's hard to pay us, you know. That's why it's hard for Chinese sellers to work with foreigners because how do they send us money? Because it's all in RMB, you know. Uh, they'd have to go to the bank and get it sent out, you know. They, it's kind of like a one-way system, which is one way why I kind of agree with some of Trump's policies. I do believe we do foreigners do need a better deal with China. Honestly, I mean, I'll say that on a record. I think everybody would agree with me, but uh, of course, he's been a little bit too aggressive, and just it's uh, made our lives. Uh, yeah crazy <laughs> sure has right now so um, yeah on the ground, just on the ground in hong kong um you know just sort of reading through the sm uh the smp today the yes. south china Morning post is just around just the impact that it seems to be having on companies there i wanted to maybe sort of throw that around cathay pacific i believe is either laying off staff or you know um or reducing hours for staff and stuff like that they've been massively impacted by by the unrest um, what what are you hearing on the ground there as well? Do you do you hear much? Yeah, or? I mean, I I I was literally in Hong Kong last week. I was going to record this. This show was actually going to be last week, but we got Howard on and uh, kind of rearranged the order, honestly. But uh, I was going to do this from the Hong Kong airport, you know, like with the background of the. I was a little bit nervous to go there. I mean, I'm in Thailand now about a year, but. Uh, it's calmed down, honestly. I think the height was when the Hong Kong airport was shut down. I think that was the peak of the protest. So far, right. there's still tear gas and there's still water, this new water cannon thing. But it, it's not as – I think it was the craziest about – when was that? Mid-August, whenever the Hong Kong airport was shut down. Mm-hmm. But uh, it has been calming down, and it usually is on the weekends. If you look, it's the weekends. Um, the most of the riot protests – I don't know if we call it riots. Protests are on the weekend. So, um, some people predict, there's a couple of predictions. There's October 1st national holiday, mm-hmm. which is about a month from now. So it, it'll be, I think the, uh, I 
should have my facts completely correct, but it's just some monumental amount of years. I think it might be 30 years. I, I don't want to say the number, but a certain amount of years is like one of those round numbers. So it's like a big uh, deal for the Chinese uh, mm-hmm. of a certain amount of years. They've been uh, formed how they're formed. <laughs> so they just want to make sure that this is not a problem. Um, so I, a lot of people say it's got to get cleaned up in the next month. And they, um, but it has been calming down. I've talked to other friends that do like um, different kind of tourist type businesses in Hong Kong that are very reliant on tourists, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they said it's been starting to get a little bit better. Um, they think when the airport was getting shut down, that was really kind of, I think the worst it's gotten, mm. but it's starting to get more calm. And others, the other prediction is a lot of these are students, right? And they're on summer holiday. So what are they going to do when they go back to school? I mean, are they going to not study? Are they not going to do their homework? Are they going to drop out of college or university? I mean, school is starting now. So some people think that these are all just kids with nothing to do that just want to hang out and protest on the summer. So the other idea is maybe this will calm down when people go back to school. Um, so that's mm. some of the predictions, but it's definitely been calming down the last week or two for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I was kind of reading about uh, some, also some recruitment companies in Hong Kong. There's a lot of talent recruiting companies that try and attract foreign labor, you know, sort of executives, Western executives and things to, to work in the banks and the insurance and that sort of thing. Uh, and a lot of those guys are actually saying that it's almost impossible to attract talent right now yeah, to Hong Kong. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, because uh, often a lot of people are actually traveling, you know, wanting to relocate their families. Like, I guess, like what what I did and what we did as a family. Yeah. You know, I would yeah. be, you know, if this had happened four or five years ago when we we're in Hong Kong, I would have, would have definitely been having thoughts about going. So, um, I know. I mean, yeah. uh, we didn't bring it up yet. I feel like Singapore. You brought up mm-hmm. Shenzhen as a as a potential alternative. I'm actually going to make an infographic, Chris. I'm already working on it now with our graphic designer, but I'm going to have like a vote. I'm trying to make, you know, I'm always trying, trying more interactive content and but I'll make an infographic and then I'll even have people vote uh, with a poll on the site. But I think Singapore probably is the big winner. I think, you know, I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of course people consider Shenzhen, people can consider, I even think I'm even going to put us on there. I mean, you know, uh, I think us is uh, uh, another actually for non-Americans it's pretty good for, at least as of recording, this is a good privacy. It seems like America doesn't, it's such a hypocrite, but it doesn't give data back to other countries of those country citizens. So you can kind of hide your money in America. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's um, crazy. So U.S. is a good one. I've, a lot of people talk about Estonia. I've seen it in groups. I mean, I've researched it. I don't know if I've had it on a podcast. I've had some blogs and some videos about Estonia. But mm. uh, but it yeah, seems like... There's a lot of South American too, like Panama and and yeah. and yeah, stuff like that. There's a lot of, I know that uh, Andrew Henderson, I think from what's he yeah. called the global, global nomad podcast. I've always been yeah. interested yeah. in getting on my yeah. show as well, but um, just to get him on to talk about, you know, the sort of the various options that you might have in terms of co- where to set up a company. Um, and I think it obviously sure. varies by nationality. It's, it's a lot more difficult as you've explained many times on your show about uh, being an American and having to deal with FATCA, you know, that yeah, F- nightmare. Okay, whatever whatever it's called, but you know, you've got to report your foreign earnings, um, you know, uh, against you know to to the to the IRS every year, right? Yeah, right? such a nightmare. You, there's a few different policies, but uh, mm. 
One is you got to just report you have any kind of foreign businesses or foreign bank accounts and what they are and what was the maximum balance. And then there's other forms if you have a company and there's other, you know, there's foreign exclusion, of course. And there's just a lot of stuff you're supposed to, and you're, you're supposed to pay tax on a cert, after a certain level. Um, so that's why it just makes a big problem for Americans. And then, you know, my, I have like my family back home to think I'm like some tax, I'm horrible tax evader because I don't want to give back <laughs> to my home country because I left and I'm not, I use the education system and I should pay taxes to America for the rest of my life on all everything because I owe America for everything I have. And I do appreciate, I do appreciate, you know, the education I received and the, the, the people I met but I mean, if you have to pay everywhere to everybody, you know, like it's a uh, you have nothing you left. Not, that means you don't pay tax where you live, and you don't pay tax mm. where you do well, business. But uh, I pay taxes. I pay taxes in Hong Kong, and I pay taxes in Australia. You know, yeah. it's sort of if I've got a company somewhere, and I've, I'm living somewhere else, and I'm taking money out of my Hong Kong business, and yeah, you know, using it to live on here as drawings, and I pay taxes on that. Well, that's business and personal, I think. Right? There's Mm. I think I mean, at least I hope you're not paying double on the business side. I think you're paying. I some people pay, you know, on the corporate side and on the personal side. And then there's there's trickier. This is one of the reasons I don't like to be in the CPA side of the business because this tax stuff gets complicated. But I think mm. there's there's the business profits and there's the personal profits. So, mm. but uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's it. So. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. But I think, um, yeah, as you said earlier, I think Singapore is definitely the, the winner here, although it's not as quite as easy to get set up there from what I understand. There, there are some. Uh, it's funny. Our, we, you know, my, my partner, Ray, he's, he's working hard, hard on offering that. But uh, the, big, the big difference is you need a company, a, a local director on the company, whereas with Hong Kong, you just need a Hong Kong secretary, which is – very low liability, very low, you know, uh, involvement. And there's unlimited amount of company secretary. There's no, there's no limit, but in Singapore, they limit the amount of directorships a local Hong Kong, uh, Singaporean can be on. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. So it makes it more valuable and there's more liability. They don't own the company, but they have, they're like a director, which means they have certain risks that they're assuming. And mm. so that's just an extra cost. And it, people say, how much does it cost for a local director? It's just kind of a variable cost. It's like, if you were a Singaporean person, Chris, you can make some extra money and be a director on a certain amount of people's companies and get paid, you know, you should get paid for that. Right. So I think it's around a thousand bucks a year, a thousand euros a year. I think the going rate, I'm not such an expert on Singapore, but that's just like Mm -hmm. an extra cost. And there's some extra, I think it's a little bit more expensive to maintain. Um, That's why some certain people have a, opted for Hong Kong over Singapore as the director is the big change um, from all my experience. And I have too many blog posts. I'm just taking notes to make sure I link to all these posts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so many years of content here. So yeah, Chris, it's going a little bit longer than my normal length. I appreciate you hanging on with me in some of this. Uh, I hope, I hope uh, you and listeners have been, and it's been great to have you. I'm glad you had to, you know, uh, willingness to come on to share so do you think uh what's your crystal ball chris you think uh 
what do you think is the future of Hong Kong business? Uh, I actually think it's probably going to settle down. I really, I mean, that's my wish. So my crystal ball at the moment is always hoping for the best and planning for the worst. So I'm, I think, uh, I think things will settle down, but I think that the, there's going to be a slow, um, I wouldn't call it demise, but I think just a, a sort of a slow decline, I think in, in, uh, Hong Kong's, you know, sort of prestigious place to, to set yeah, up and do I business. Mean, and, you know, if we look even further afield to, I can't remember what the date is. I think it's 2048, which I think I might be long gone by then. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when Hong Kong finally is seceded completely across to the Chinese, I think that'd be an interesting time, but, uh, yeah, for the, in the short term, I don't know, mate. I, I just I hope that things settle down and that things kind of get back to normal. And um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I'm on your side. Actually, one last point I want to bring up about the, I think it's technically 2047. So it's like 50 years from 1997 to 2047 is this handover part yes. from UK yeah. to China. Yes. And I guess nobody really knows what's supposed to happen in 2047. One perspective, you know, I just, I'm trying to give a balanced perspective here, but on China's side is what are they supposed to do? Just keep it like on Jan- New Year's, you know, January 1st, 2047, the whole system changes. So what some people have argued to me is like, why are these people complaining? It's already China. There's this 50 years, you know, and China's just practicing or transitioning or exhibiting or moving towards what it wants mm-hmm. to do. And honestly, I used to, I didn't think it would happen this soon. And but they're not changing everything. What this has all started because it's difficult, but basically the the protesters freaked out mostly because the extradition law, which there's other parts of this law, but the main thing they didn't like was mainland China could arrest people in Hong Kong and take them to Chinese court for breaking Chinese law. That's right. So that's what freaked everybody out because they felt like then people were just going to get picked up off the street and uh, taken to China. Um, So that's the main thing they didn't like. And it's kind of spiraled a little bit out of control as far as I think you and I would agree. But uh, what these people would tell me is like, what is supposed to, this is China, right? And this is going to be a transition. They're not just going to wait till 2047 and flip the switch. So some people would argue to, to me and you, this is not forever. This is a 50-year thing. And yeah, they're starting to switch things over, you know, even though I feel like it's a little bit, you can wait a little bit longer to start switching things over. But they've been doing other things too besides this. And I think Hong Kong people have just gotten sick and tired of it because they said, give us our two systems, you know, uh, policy that you promised us so i think that's that's it and uh nobody knows what's gonna happen 2047 and it seems like things are already happening now and uh i think the writing's on the wall unfortunately for for all of us um that i guess this won't last forever but uh you know as far as businesses the the you know um the worst i guess what i would say is the worst is you you know, people have more than one company, right? I mean, it's not the best thing to say, but you could start to have maybe a Singapore company or a U.S. company, or you could have, uh, but more, you know, these massive corporations, what they do is they have like, they have their, you know, a lot of them have offshore companies like BVI, like we've mentioned, or these island companies, and they don't even have a bank account there really, or they have a bank account, you know, um, 
they're maybe a, a very illiquid bank account that can't accept PayPal or Stripe. And then they have their Hong Kong or US or all these other com- countries, companies set up. And then the main money goes back to this offshore company at the top. But they're operating through Hong Kong. They're operating through, so you can maybe have another layer on top or you could have a sister company that's maybe your backup. And then you could just flip the switch to your Stripe, your PayPal, your Amazon. Of course, there'd still be a process, but you could have another company set up of course this is more making all of our lives more complicated yeah that's the problem <laughs> this is the problem right then you have to you maintain another business. company you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but um like yeah, i think you would agree the main value when you're selling your business not where your company's registered right like if you want to sell your company to a buyer they don't really care so much where your company's registered most of the value that our listeners and uh, should be building is is brand, building IP, building, which still has to be owned by a company that you should have the rights to be able to transfer to the new buyer. But I think what people got to really realize is, of course, there's money and there's companies, but the main value when you're selling your business or you're owning your business, even for your whole life, you can always, if you keep it, you can switch it, right? You still are the owner of this brand, of this business, right? So yeah. we we can all repair from this, uh, hopefully. <laughs> But yeah, look, um, I think at the end of the day, you just, I mean, look, we're business people. We want to run a business and, you know, if you want to restructure your business and do all that counties trickery and, and set up, you know, all these different islands and bank accounts all over the world and structure yourself in such a way to minimize tax. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I'm happy to pay tax. It means I've made some money. So it's true. Uh, so I don't want to pay more than I need to, but at the same time, I don't want to sit around trying to figure out how to avoid yeah. paying tax. It's I'd much rather grow my business and pay my fair share. And, you know, we, we drive on roads and we go, we send our kids to schools and, you know, there's all these things that governments do um, using t- our tax money. Sometimes they don't do it as well as we'd like, but, <laughs> part, you know, we have infrastructure and things like that that are, and, and, a, and a rule, you know, laws and, and police and, and hospitals and all these things that, you know, typically are built by our governments and, yeah. You've got to contribute to to so that you can enjoy that stuff and have those um, those freedoms. Yep. So yep. You know, pay your taxes, people, and stop trying to figure out how to get out of it. <laughs> or just become really, really rich and then pay some really smart people to take care of it for you. I mean, I well, try, yeah. I, I yeah. tell people that like does is uh, I just tell people did Google or, you know, did Steve Jobs sit in his uh, garage thinking about maximizing his tax savings? I don't think so. But I think exactly. when it got really, when it got mm-hmm. really rich, then he, they had his lawyers and accountants spending the time doing that. So you can always do that later too. Yeah. I think while we all might be freaking out about all of this, we're all dealing with the same options. So try not to freak out too much and just still fo- don't lose focus on the business, right? Operate the business, you know, mm-hmm. grow your sales, you know, uh, try your best with your suppliers, re- negotiate, look for other suppliers. That's business anyway. hundred mm, percent. Yep. And okay. yeah, if you've got a bank account in Hong Kong, I think at the moment things look reasonably stable. So yeah, you know, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I mean, as long as you can keep it, like they don't shut you down, but I don't think if there's a huge run on the banks, I, I still don't, no, we'll see that happening for a while. I can't see it happening. There's no way that the the Hong Kong population would suddenly, uh, you know, look. The only way that it could happen is where we've got some massive corporates that are just, you know, 
pulling massive amounts of capital out of the out of the country electronically, and you know, I'm pretty yeah. sure they. All right, this has been one of my longer shows, and uh, so also a little bit. Of course, we plugged it at the beginning, but the AustralianSeller.com is that the best place? How how can be towards iTunes subscribe? I mean, you're giving amazing. It's not just about <laughs> Australia. You're giving amazing knowledge about Amazon and marketing. So, uh, yeah, definitely recommend you guys hit that subscribe on Chris's show and. Uh, also, here going to India. I know Megalo's on the show. You're you're working with the India sourcing trip, and right. uh, there's some things coming up with that. And if you have anything else you want to share for people about, oh, how they so I'm, 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 I need to negotiate with my wife, but I'm hoping to get to the cross border summit as well. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in Guangzhou with my supplier, and I'm hoping to maybe do another Kickstarter campaign later this year or early next year. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on for me right now, which is really fun. So yeah, but feel free to connect if you want to send an email to chris at christhomas.com.au. Uh, you can reach me that way, and I'm more Great. than happy to have a chat to you. Great. Thanks again, Chris, for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Cheers. Are you going to be out in Guangzhou for the Canton Fair? I hope you're not too scared to come to China. It's going to be an amazing fourth annual Cross Border Summit, October 22nd and 23rd, with an additional mastermind on the 21st. If you'd like to make it out for that additional part of it, bring together great experts in Amazon, e-commerce, cross-border trade, all under one roof for two action-packed, jam-packed days, making deals, making connections, learning about the latest strategies, and, of course, having fun. I'd love to see you there, www.crossbordersummit.com. We got both border, B-O-R-D-E-R or B-O-A-R-D-E-R. Check it out. Hope to see you there. Thank you, Chris. Check him out at www.theaustralianseller.com. He's been doing some great branding, and uh, yeah, he's a really nice guy. And I, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed his, his uh, really helpful sharing and insights. I was almost gonna do that one by myself, to be honest, because I couldn't get Ray and I couldn't get others to do that. And uh, it's a touchy topic. And uh, hopefully, I can enter Hong Kong next time at the airport. Hopefully, I can enter China. Hopefully, I can enter America. I don't know, man. Yeah, hopefully, I can stay in Thailand. I don't know what's gonna even happen. Immigration and borders driving me crazy but time for the blah 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 session where i get to talk about anything i want and rant for about seven to ten minutes trying to give my perspectives about what we just talked about so i will do that global from asia was registered at the dcbkk in 2013 i'm i'm a regular attendee dan and ian are doing amazing things in tropical mba podcast changing lives and I took Dan's advice that everybody in the room should start a podcast. And his slide afterwards was the Hong Kong skyline. And he says, somebody should start a podcast about Hong Kong business. They will be making a good living, good business income within a year of starting it. And I'm sitting in the audience, fanboy, Dan's the man. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll do that. It seems like I'm in Shenzhen. It's not too far from Hong Kong. I remember talking to him afterwards, and he's like, you don't got to be in Hong Kong to do it. So registered a domain. I was sitting in, like, the uh, executive lounge of the Conrad Hotel in Bangkok, and somehow I thought of globalfromasia.com. I don't know. I didn't want it to be a Hong Kong podcast. Thank goodness. (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't pick HongKongPodcast.com or something like that. But uh, I picked Global from Asia. I didn't want to be about China either. Even back in 2013, I was thinking of Thailand. Well, maybe not Thailand, but Southeast Asia. Dan and many others told me, get out of China, get out of China, get out of China. You know, I was reading my personal blogs and everything. But I stuck in there almost 11 years, mostly in Shenzhen, but uh, started podcasting about Hong Kong business. If you listen to the first, I don't know, 50 episodes, it was mostly about Hong Kong business, banking, PayPal, credit cards, all that kind of good, boring corporate stuff. And I even admitted some of it was boring. But listeners seem to really like it. Honestly, I was really loving it. Early stages was much more clear to me. Um, and then I was like, I got to make money with this. Like Dad said, in about a year or so, you know, you I try that book, you know, where you build your audience and then build your email list. So I was doing lead magnets and stuff. And then I made a book, Hong Kong Supercharged, a book all about Hong Kong business. I didn't really want to do the services. I was still doing social agent at my startup. My uh, firstborn had Miles had just been born, and uh, I wrote a book, Hong Kong Supercharged, one of those e-books, $47. People still buy it now, honestly. Thank you for those that buy the book. And we also had a video course, and uh, we've been always trying to do some kind of a membership. But what the biggest feedback was, people said, I don't really want to read a book about it. Can't you just do it for me? So I referred to other agencies and I got some commissions and sometimes the commissions would get forgotten and admin stuff and, you know, emails. And then I was like, you know what? I could just do this myself. So I started offering the service myself in 2015. Hong Kong company registration, bank help, built up my contacts in banks. Actually, some of you guys still read my blog posts about two days as an American trying to open a bank account in Hong Kong in 2015 which is before the banking crisis, it was hard even then. Blood, sweat, and tears. Blood. Well, it was definitely sweat. It was like July. To, I remember I went to a RISE conference, too, at that time, in 2015. And uh, trying to figure out which banks. Most of our content, our top content on the site is banking. So anyway, uh, the service worked. People were like, oh, I like your podcast, Mike. You seem like a really nice guy. I want to do business in Hong Kong. I like, I, I want to come. I'm going to come during the Canton Fair. I'm going to come out for the trade shows or DCBKK. Hey, let's meet up. We can do the bank account, do lunch. Man, I had a good life. I was really happy. It was 2015, 2016, a little bit. And uh, registering people's companies, taking them to HSBC, sitting in a waiting room. Getting upsold insurance policies. I got three life insurance policies from HSBC Hong Kong. And I still get the letter of death that they want to shut me down. I'll probably still have to pay my insurance premiums if, even if I don't have a bank account. To like bring bags of cash to their bank teller for my insurance. That I, I, if I die, my wife probably won't even get the money anyway. But I'm paying for the stupid insurance because I was bringing all these clients there. And all these clients you know, are getting bank accounts. And uh, we're making business plans, and I had a little office, had an opening party. Chris Thomas was there, man. Chris came. I was like 15 people, cramped in a little Kowloon side office. But uh, Andre Martin is awesome. He's edited some of my books, too, and did some live streaming there, and content creation, podcast interviews. I was living a dream, man. It was like, it was pretty awesome, you know, recording podcasts. Be in media press with Invest HK. Got Invest HK on the show once or maybe twice. And, uh, you know, getting paid pretty well from people like you guys liking the show, wanting to do 
run international business from Hong Kong. And then they were happy. You guys were happy. Meet me. We'd have some lunch. Get the banking set up. Give you some documents. And, uh, you know, I'd hop across that border. Hong Kong, Shenzhen border. And, you know, hold my one-year-old kid. Working on the second. (laughs) That came a little bit quick, huh? Working on the second. And life was good. And then all of a sudden, 2016. Dun-dun-dun. For some reason, I guess it was the Panama leaks and then government officials all around the world that are, like, not paying taxes in their home country, getting bribes paid into their Hong Kong HSBC bank accounts with their Panama offshore companies. And it screws people like me. There was also another scammer, Israeli guy, cheating European multinationals, getting them to wire money to a Hong Kong bank, saying how easy it is for him to walk into a Hong Kong bank in shorts and a T-shirt and uh, get a bank account in a couple of days and then get people... uh, multinationals in uh europe to pay him we talked about in the newsletter 2016 that happened too and then like chris said the drug cartels getting bank accounts for uh drugs and then it hit the little guys like you and me nailing me nailing you uh because we don't make them so much money you know so we're these small guys and there's tons of this called kyc we had edmund john from flag theory on the show too we have had nomad capitalist also on the show in the past, Andrew Henderson, and, you know, the little guys get squished, right? We we don't make the bank so much money. Even though I got three life insurance policies, I'm paying, like, $12,000 a year between three policies. One hits me almost nine grand every March. I get another one hitting me every month, another one hitting me, like, every year, a few thousand bucks here, there. Still not enough. Still not enough. So, you know, most of us don't make enough money for the banks, and like I said in the show, it's all about the banks. It doesn't matter about the company. Yeah, you got the stupid audit. You got the stupid employer return where you say how many employees you have, which most of us have zero. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, it crushed me in 2016. You know, I uh, I, 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 I love working with you guys. And uh, some, of the, some of the clients I took in 2016 didn't get the bank account. And, uh, you know, what's a company good for if you don't have a bank account? And it crushed me. I couldn't get, I couldn't sleep, you know. And some of, some of, some of the clients are pretty persistently calling me for the bank. I'm the bank. I'm not the bank, you know. I mean, I'm working my magic here, changing addresses, changing secretaries, putting it in my friends' offices, pulling every string I could possibly pull. But uh, the banks just didn't care and didn't open a lot of accounts. 2016. That's when I started meeting Need HK. And those guys, which have supported the show, and we've talked about a lot, and they, they, uh, they're doing what they can to help people with the banking crisis in Hong Kong and globally. But there's not many other places to go. You know, where are you still gonna go? But I just didn't like the deal of not being able to get people easy bank accounts, or it was just really stressful, and it's still stressful. Still, I uh, just pushing as hard as we can. And the blah, blah, blah is almost over. So that's the quick milestones. You know, Hong Kong Business Podcast, ebook, service, banking explosion, cross-border summit, memberships, affiliates. And then to the point now where I don't even care about making money with this. I am a partner at Alpha Rock Capital. I sold Amazon Business. We started on e-commerce Gladiator. And I'm just doing this because I like to do this and uh, I can just say what I want on this damn show and I could just stop if I wanted to, but I don't want to stop and I hope you guys like listening. 
And I hope I don't get arrested somewhere for speaking, I think, how it is. So, if tanks plow into the Hong Kong border, um, yeah, I think there'll be a huge collapse. But I can't imagine our bank accounts being frozen. They might shut us down because they want to get rid of us, but they're not going to take our money. So, um, we'll just see how it goes, and I will share it as I come, as it comes. Peace. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.